Soul food was a bridge that our ancestors were taking us across uh, during a time when uh, slave masters would throw scraps and the parts of the, of the animal that no one wanted. Uh, we had to find ways to make it palatable. Uh, the pig knuckles, the pig ears, uh, the chitlins, the pig snouts, uh, all of those parts of the food, uh, mm -hmm. frying chicken was to uh, make it tasty. And because you were able to travel with it for a period of time and it would stay fresh longer, uh, so all of the foods that we created because of the resiliency of our ancestors that said, we're going to do what we have to do to make sure that we could have future generations, uh, not to do this, but just for survival. And that's what medicine is like when you think about it. The yeah. medicine that we're supposed to use to normalize our health crises, we turned it into a long-standing use. I would have been on... Uh, diabetes medicine for the rest of my life. The role of that medicine was that first week when I was told my A1C was at a coma level and my blood pressure was high and uh, the vision loss, uh, that medicine was supposed to stabilize me. Then I was supposed to shift into a lifestyle that I would no longer need the medicine. And that's where the book is showing us that the food that was supposed to get us over the bridge, we have now incorporated in our lives, even we, when we have better options and no one is throwing scraps at us, we're running to the scraps. And when you think about it, that is really damaging uh, emotionally when you really focus on it. On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm so honored to welcome Eric Adams. How are you today, sir? Quite well. Good to see you, doctor. It's a real pleasure speaking with you again. Yes, and thank you again. Um, this is really exciting. So you've come out with, I'm assuming, is your first book? Yes, it is. Uh, and it is extremely exciting. It's, I think it's so important. You know, my mom used to say, if you live long enough, you, you will experience pain. So how do you turn pain into purpose? Mm -hmm. And using a painful moment and experience to, to make it a purpose, purposeful moment, it's just, it's just so enjoyable to do so. I love it. And I, what I really like is the title, Healthy at Last. So how did you arrive to that title? Because I think that says a lot about the process. Yes. And it was a, a ballad that many of us knew, a song. And a woman found her love at last. And she, you know, often performed at weddings. You know, the name of the song is At Last. And that's how I felt when I started eating healthy. Uh, you know, the real love we have is the love of ourselves because that really cascades out with our relationships. I'm sure, doctor, you can run into someone who really cares about themselves and you can see the joy in how they interact with people. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that at last is, you know, being healthy and loving life at last in a real healthy way. Now, I mean, that's really phenomenal because, you know, just before we dive into the book, but you were 56 when you adopted the plant-based diet. Is that right? Yes, I was. And wow. it, it was hard to, you know, we normalize uh, everything. 
And you can normalize the, the discomfort, the bloatiness, the constipation, the headaches, the lethargic feeling. And you tend to believe, okay, well, I'm getting older. So, you know, you're supposed to all of a sudden you find it difficult to get out of bed, find it difficult to interact and to walk up those stairs. But that is just not true. And when I woke up uh, after adopting a plant-based lifestyle and no longer was I feeling all, all of those things, I was like, wow, it's amazing what we just think that that is what life is. And what I love you know, as your forward by Dr. Killeans, who's a very dear friend of mine who I just admire and adore so much, but he really pulled out some really interesting things. So if we go into the book and I mean, reading parts of it really made me had to reflect as a Caucasian female physician as well on some of the things that you were saying. So I really kind of like to talk to you about that too, because that, it made me think about some things and which I think is good. It's thought provoking and it should challenge us. So um, but he wrote the chains that the Emancipation Pro Proclamation failed to remove, producing the black package. Could you explain that? Because I, as I was reading, I was like, wow, that is really profound. And I think it, it really summarizes a lot. Could you explain that a little bit? Yes. You know, we often point to the Emancipation Proclamation uh, that uh, really outlawed slavery and allowed uh, people of color to leave, leave and, and, and put behind them the being actually in shackles, we like to say. But he points out how those physical shackles may have been removed, but we're still emotionally uh, enslaved uh, by the food that the slave masters uh, forced our ancestors to eat. And so real uh, emancipation is going to come when we get rid of every aspect of slavery. And I must say, although the book uh, comes from the narrative of an African-American and the slave experience, but the colonializing powers uh, that really colonialized uh, Central America, South America, India, and so many other places, just look at Hawaii. Hawaii, with all of the fresh fruits and vegetables, one of the most staple parts of their diet uh, is Spam. Mm -hmm. You know, so here you have all of this healthy food and people are worrying, wondering why Hawaiians have a high level of heart disease and diabetes. Uh, it's because that they were taught how to use spam instead of eating from the land that's readily available to them. So really this story and what uh, Dr. Williams was talking about, that emancipation is true in every culture uh, where settlers came in and colonized groups and took away their natural relationships and connections with the land and taught them how to eat far differently uh, than their previous ancestors. Absolutely, and I really enjoyed the, um, the chapter on the real history of soul food. And, cause I grew up in the Southwest. And <laughs> so, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So we grew a lot of our own foods. We ate a lot of beans and some other things. But mac and cheese was one of our staples as well because we could get the cheap cheese. But I mean, it was really fascinating. Can you explain a little bit about how you you speak to the importance of that food as a survival food, but then it translated to the soul food, but it's also killing us. Can you give us a little bit of... of yes, of so, so true. And you know what's important? That it's just like medicine and health. Mm -hmm. We, we have taken a temporary state and turned it into a long-standing state. And mm -hmm. so soul food 
was the bridge that our ancestors were taking us across uh, during a time when uh, slave masters would throw scraps and the parts of the, of the animal that no one wanted. Uh, we had to find ways to make it palatable. Uh, the pig knuckles, the pig ears, uh, the chitlins, the pig snouts, uh, all of those parts of the food, uh, mm -hmm. frying chicken was to uh, make it tasty. And because you were able to travel with it for a period of time and it would stay fresh longer, uh, so all of the foods that we created because of the resiliency of our ancestors that said, we're going to do what we have to do to make sure that we could have future generations, uh, not to do this, but just for survival. And that's what medicine is like when you think about it. The yeah. medicine that we're supposed to use to normalize our health crises, we turned it into a long-standing use. I would have been on... Uh, diabetes medicine for the rest of my life. The role of that medicine was that first week when I was told my A1C was at a coma level and my blood pressure was high and uh, the vision loss, uh, that medicine was supposed to stabilize me. Then I was supposed to shift into a lifestyle that I would no longer need the medicine. And that's where the book is showing us that the food that was supposed to get us over the bridge we have now incorporated in our lives, even we, when we have better options and no one is throwing scraps at us, we're running to the scraps. And when you think about it, that is really damaging uh, emotionally when you really focus on it. Yeah, so there's so many consequences to that. So when you, when you looked at writing this book, what was your initial or what is your goal? Like, what would you like when someone's reading this book, regardless of you know, their backgrounds, what would you like them to incorporate or how to start? Like, what would be the first thing you'd really like them to hone in on? I would love for them, when they finish the book, I would love for them to say, wow, he's not perfect. <laughs> he exposed himself. He talked about his imperfections, because sometimes when we look at public figures, we have the tendency to believe uh, that, okay, in order to get there, you have to be the straight A, a students, you have to always eat the right things, you're this place of perfection. That's just so untrue. Uh, I, I think we do ourselves a disservice, I say all the time, that we don't list in our bios or our resumes our failures, uh, because those failures really define us and it humanizes us. And so other people who are living through those failures and they kick themselves, they understand that it is all right to fall. And that's the joy of getting back up. Uh, and really when I think of fail, it's the first act in learning. It's about learning from our mistakes. And I'm hoping people walk away from the book and say, here's this ordinary person uh, that uh, loved his mom, cared about his mom, saw his mom go through health crisis, was eating the same foods that we're eating now, fell into the rut, a thought that thinking, uh, that it was too late for me, my best years were behind me, and he made a change. And out of that, he saw that really his best years are ahead of him, and it could be done one day at a time. Even when you stumble and make a mistake and eat that uh, cake or that donut or that, that Coca-Cola, there is a tomorrow, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? You don't have to wait until Monday to start over again. Monday is not health day, every day is health day. <laughs> 
I love that. that I might actually steal that. That's good. <laughs> um, but I, it was really funny. I really enjoyed that one scene where you're describing where your mom forgot her medications and you had gone to a family function. You're like, oh, we have to go back. And she goes, no, no, no. Anybody got <laughs> sugar pills for me? <laughs> and everybody pulled out. I mean, it's sad, but it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a true state sentiment of it where is. we are in the United States. I'd like to really, because you've, you've worked a lot with like Dr. M you know, Michelle McMacken and some others, which is awesome, the programs that you're instilling. Can you talk to us a little bit, because you do speak to it about the medical um, system in general and how we have really done a disservice to the African-American population um, and I was really surprised some of the things that you were, I was reading, because my daughter's actually graduating medical school in May, and I'm, well, congratulations. And I'm, thank you, yes, and, you know, my husband is Filipino, so they're not, they're, they're uh, mixed culturally, but their family is also very healthy. If you look at the Filipino culture, and you talk about, yes. you were talking about the different cultures, I mean, they fry everything. Doesn't mean it doesn't taste good, but it, <laughs> boy, it's bad, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'd weigh 500 pounds if I ate it all the time, but can you talk a little bit about the disparities and maybe what you would hope to see change? Because I find it so disheartening because I find it so, like Michelle mentioned, it's just the most beautiful thing to see someone truly heal. What would be something that you've maybe, if there's a physician or a young medical student, or maybe someone who wants to become, you know, someone in the healthcare field to look at this and really take home and, and to think about daily and have it on the fore, forefront of their minds? That's so important because the first level of nurturing is how you treat yourself. Mm. And we don't realize it, those of us who are in certain professions. I learned this when I was a police officer, uh, that uh, the trauma that citizens were experiencing, I also experienced that trauma because PTSD is, you know, you don't know, the body does not know the difference between thinking about an action or going through an action. Mm. And so when I failed to make a community safe, every time I went through that shooting, uh, that assault, that robbery, uh, every time I witnessed or heard the story and it was in my psyche, I relived it. And I think the same is for health professionals. Uh, you may think that, okay, this patient came to me and they just have a high A1C, but then they eventually uh, have a higher, they go on first metformin, the pills, then they go on insulin, then they lead to amputation, to blindness, and kidney failure. You watching the erosion of the quality of life of your patient year after year after year, you are internalizing that. And so I really encourage new physicians to understand your goal when you were a baby and you were practicing with your stethoscope on your, your little brothers and sisters and hoping to heal. Uh, you are made to heal. And the greatest level of betrayal to the physicians that, go, that, go, that actually go through medical school without any learning or education or instructions for nutrition and how to heal. That is such a betrayal because a physician wants to heal. And if you know when that patient is in front of you that in a few years, they're going to be having heart disease, they're going to be having a, a dialysis and, and probably limb amputation or blindness, that's a very troubling thing. And so I wanted to show in the book how we need to change our thoughts. Even as one survey during the research of the book, I discovered that we ask a series of doctors, new doctors, on their thoughts on 
of the skin of black people. Some people thought the skin was thicker than others. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we asked to think about the tolerance of pain. Some people thought uh, that blacks uh, tolerated more pain. And so it doesn't mean people are racist, and that's not what we wanted to reveal. We're saying that we have to unlearn so we can learn and actually start applying the principles of treating everyone equally and starting to heal people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think there's so many things that I could talk to you about that, but the <laughs> it's interesting, the narrative would be, um, I, I one of the things too, I besides even just working with African-Americans, but just patients in general, one of the most disheartening things is see physicians who are resistant to this message, one, because of their internal conflict of, of what they're doing to themselves, which is probably a big part of it. But two would be, you know, thinking that patients aren't going to change. But I just haven't found that to be true. We've actually launched the first national plant-based telehealth medicine practice. We're in 41 states right now. And I mean, it's just been a phenomenal response because people are like, we they're hungry for the message and they're willing to seek it out if we provide a way to, to reach us. So is, is that one of the things that you found or maybe even working with other people, like when you talk to your mom and she's like, she calls you up, like, what'd you do to replace the food in my refrigerator? You know, I think that is so adorable, but where, where would you say, how can we start talking to these people who are very resistant? What, have you found anything successful when you're when you're approaching someone and saying you're you're giving a message of hope and healing, but they see it somehow differently. Yes, and great, and that's a great question. And I am so excited about the future and what it has to offer because I'm coming across you know folks like you, Dr. McMacken, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Esselstyn, uh, and so many others. We we never had this before. Mm -hmm. uh, number one. Uh, the use of social media, the use of the internet, not being limited by the, the traditional methods of getting information to people, the readily accessibility, uh, and just the energy. You know, I'm, we are living the life that people want to live. You know, it's one thing to walk into a doctor's office and he's coughing like he has emphysema and, you know, he's looking bloated and looking bad. And all of a sudden you're trying to figure out, is this who I want to be? You know, it's like going to a dentist and all of his teeth are, are rotten, you know? And so I, I just think we're at a universal shift uh, in our existence as human beings. People want to heal and they no longer want to be, they no longer want to exist. What is the use? of living longer, being a hundred, and you can't identify your grandchildren. Mm. What is the use of losing your sight or uh, losing your limbs? And what I'm finding in the conversations, and trust me, it's, you know, the addictive uh, byproducts or the addictive actions of food is really hard, and we know that. But people are finding, finding their motivating factors. When I tell people that you have early signs of dementia and there's some things you can do that you're going to be able to experience your grandchildren, it's a game changer. Mm. If I tell them that instead of doing dialysis three days a week, three hours a day, there's some things you can do, it's a game changer. And once you find the entry point of people, it's not all the same. Mm -hmm. Once you find that entry point, you use that as uh, the way to really motivate them. Mm -hmm. 
because we all have unique ways of motivating. It could be, I want, I want to walk my son down the aisle. Uh, I want to be there um, when he graduates. You know, so there are different things that motivate us and inspire us. And that's what I'm hoping the book allows us to see this holistic change, you know, and healthy at last means not only being healthy physically, but emotionally and mm -hmm. spiritually, really developing your full personhood and there are ways to do it that's not complicated in the process. I think that's really key. Um, it's not just the physical health because so many things domino effect and it's just like a tree that takes root and it just spreads so quickly. Can you share some of the things in your own life the spiritually, the emotionally, the relationships that may have changed because you felt different internally, physically. So true, so true. And you know, it's so funny. Uh, you can't eat healthy meals and do unhealthy things. Mm. It's just, uh, it, it won't go together. If you're concerned, and it's, and it's also the opposite as well. You can't neglect your body and then don't believe you're going to neglect other things. And what, I, what is amazing to me is what my brother, my son said to me about, you know, dad, you took care of your car to make sure you had the right oil, the right gas, but you didn't take care of your body. You didn't put the right food in your body. And the focus is to show people how all of this is connected. Mm. You, can't, you can't separate being a well-rounded, person that is in, in touch with their full personhood and this book being healthy at last I do not ignore that this is not just about how do we eat but how do we ensure we do not have emotional obesity also how mm. do we become healthy all the way around I love that. And so when you speak to the how-to, I think it's so important because there's so much information on the what you need to be eating and this, but the how-to is really, really important. That's kind of where I focus on my practice is behavioral change and learning about behavior design. So what is your favorite part about this book? Like, what do you feel is the most impactful and powerful part that people will walk away from and go, if I remember one thing, this is what it'll be from my book. <laughs> well, the, how practical it is. Hmm. We make things so complicated nowadays. It's, it's, it's as though if it's not complex, uh, then it's not scholarly, you know, and it's so simple. You know, you don't need a gym pass, you know, don't you, just take the stairs. You, know? uh, you, you, you could just get off your bus stop, one stop uh, before your normal stop and walk the rest of the way. Uh, you don't need to go to a fancy of plant-based vegan restaurant. Just get lentils, you know, <laughs> make a lentil burger. Uh, go, right on, go right online and look at all the recipes that are available. I wanted to show people, it's not dollars and cents, it's common sense. <laughs> and <clears throat> to really show individuals how right within the universe you currently are a part of are the answers you're looking for but we have been looking over them because people made it too complicated. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at some of the recipes in, in the book, uh, we want to show here are some simple recipes you can do. So you can start with a repertoire and then add and build on them as I started so long ago. And then the powers of spices. I talk about it all the time, mm -hmm. uh, how powerful spices are. I had no idea. <laughs> that I thought spices was just for your taste. And then learning that what they actually do for your body. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I only thought about salt and pepper, and that was a wrap. You know, and it's all of the new introduction to this amazing universe that's out there that we have ignored. And it's almost of a Shakespearean tragedy level. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just a normal tragedy, it's a Shakespearean tragedy of when we've had so much at our disposal that we could be utilizing to be the person that we want to be. Mm. It's right here. And it's just one step away and moving in the right direction. And that's what I enjoy about the book, how practical it is, not overwhelming, an easy read. It's like you feel like you're sitting down talking to your old best friend, wearing a comfortable pair of old shoes that's already broken in. And you just engage in the conversation that someone came to me and said, Eric, I want to change my life the way my mother did. This is how I spoke to my mother and I'm speaking to people the same way I love mom. I love them and I want them to be healthy at last. I think that is fabulous. I love that. There's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be complex to be scholarly. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's fantastic. Because I, I work with Dr. Williams on the journal. I'm the, the managing editor. It's just, it is very true when you get some of these things. Oh my heavens, that's that's great. But I do, I think it is, it's a conversation and make it simple. And that's one of the actual, you know, when you look at behavior design where long lasting behavior changes, break it down into simple tasks. And that's really yes. what you've done with your different chapters. And, um, you know, I think the one thing that was really interesting is that people don't understand or the myth is that it's more expensive and right. um, difficult to do. So you also speak about, you know, you just refer to them as, as food swamps or, or food deserts in a sense that these foods are not readily available in certain neighborhoods across the country, not just in, you know, New right. York City. But can you tell me a little bit about um, that, those myths? Because I think that's so important that we understand that's not exactly true. So true. And the, the three myths that I found on this journey uh, this is a white thing, you know, when you start eating uh, plant-based, oh, you know, what do you, and that's why the soul food is important. Are you too good to eat the food of our ancestors? You know, this is a white thing. Mm-hmm. Second is, this is too difficult. How could I even do it? It's too hard to do. And third, uh, it's too expensive and the foods aren't available. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to re-focus uh, your attention. If you don't uh, become aware of, and you know, I always talk about quantum physics talks about when you acknowledge the existence of something, you be, it, it comes, you become aware of it. And the, this is not a white thing, it's the right thing. And all ethnicities benefit from healthy eaters because all of us are part of the 30 million Americans that are diabetic and 84 million who are pre-diabetic. All of us are part of that. It's disproportionately among people of color, but white families are going through this just as bad, so we all can learn from eating healthy. And it's not too hard to do. We show, I talk about food prep. I talk about uh, how to lay out your food and get ready, How what to do at restaurants, how to look at the uh, appetizers menu, or look and see if they have steak and broccoli, then you know they have broccoli. If they have fish and asparagus, you know they have asparagus. So put your meals together. And I show how simple it is to do. And lastly, the biggest myth is too expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, one bag of $2.75 lentils, you, I eat the whole week if I want to. I can make lentil burgers, lentil stew, 
Uh, I can make lentil bread. I've learned how to make lentil bread and make a wrap out of it. Uh, there's so much you can do and it's a great source of protein, extremely filling, high source of fiber, which really fights off so many diseases. So you're seeing a win-win and that's what the book wanted to do to dispel all those rumors of how, why you couldn't do it and why it's important to do it. Absolutely. I actually made a video on how to feed a family of four under $10 a day on a plant-based diet. Love it. So, I, got, I have to get that video. <laughs> I'm going to make sure we get it. To All right. it out. I'll send that. it to Rachel because I was like, I'm so, cause I grew up with no, like literally I was the only white kid in my neighborhood. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, it was, I, we learned really quick. We never went out to eat. We, my mom would get mad at us when she'd buy fruit because it would be gone. She was like, we need to save and enjoy it for all. Like, are you kidding? Fruit's delicious. But uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I totally get where people are coming from because they think that, but then it's almost like, you know, you also speak to that um, families would see the larger meat portion on a table. Yes. Kind of yes. like, well, we have this. It's almost the same thing now where people like they go out to eat or they do something that means that it's almost like competing with the Joneses. Is like, you know, so it's very strange how we think about that, but it's so just harming true. us. That's the, and, and, and that's the interesting part about the book as we delve into uh, soul food. And mm. Think about it for a moment. Imagine having something that is harmful to your family, your existence and you turned it into a prized possession. That is so dangerous. Mm. It is so dangerous that you've taken something that's at the root of your despair, your hardship, your trauma. And instead of saying, we're going to mobilize together and rid ourselves of this evil among us, we actually deified it. Mm. We sit around on Thanksgiving day and we pray for Aunt Mary that's in the hospital and hope that she overcomes her heart disease, her diabetes, her kidneys failure. And then we take the food that caused it and we share it with each other. Mm. That is when you, when you really start to think about it on its core level, there's just a level of sadness mm. that settles in and why I feel this book is so important. Because as Dr. Williams stated, it's time for real emancipation. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do it is not to talk down, but to educate people so they can start making the right choices. And they may not make it right away. Right. It may take, you know, a week. It may take a month. It may sit on someone's shelf until one day they got a diagnosis. And they may pick it up and say, let me look and see what Eric was talking about. Mm. Or they could be sitting in the doctor's office waiting to be seen. <clears throat> and this may be on the coffee table and they may thumb through it and do what happened to me. They may say, wow, mm. I never knew this. You know, <laughs> so that's the goal. And that's what I am going for. I want to reach a new audience and empower them to know that being unhealthy is not the end of their life, that they can be healthy at last by making the right choices. And I think that's a beautiful way to end a wonderful conversation and thank you so much for writing a very a book that's it's emotionally provoking but and in, in inspiring at the same time but you give the practical information that people need to make ma massive changes in their life so thank you so very much thank you good to see you again yeah. <laughs> be thank well you too you too <laughs>